All right, uh, time for the Renewable Energy Hour. Oh, and, well, we'll go. Good evening, Mendonesia and the World Wide Web. This is Doug Livingston with the Renewable Energy Hour and commuting by uh, our fabulous telecommunications system is Alex Aragon, my co-host. How are you tonight, Alex? You always make it sound so advanced and technical. Vast and technical. He's on the phone. Well, although these days phones are vast and technical. Yeah, they are. Your your phone has, you know, many, many, and, and a couple of orders of magnitude, I think, more computing power than the Apollo 11 spacecraft. Oh, man, James Bond wishes he had this. Yeah, <laughs> well, he probably does nowadays. I haven't seen a James Bond for a while. <laughs> Actually, the, the new one out got pretty good reviews, it sounds like, but I haven't Ooh. seen a James Bond in quite a while. Yep. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting cultural phenomenon. So, what's been in the news lately? Um, well, yeah, there's that thing about Ford Motor Company spending $11.4 billion on new production sites in Tennessee and Kentucky. Yep, the big, big production planned on electric vehicles uh, in Tennessee and two uh, battery manufacturing plants in Kentucky, which will help turn those red states green, maybe. Yeah, looking at 11,000 jobs coming through there. 11,000, wow. And that was areas that used to be uh, big coal areas. So moving from old fossil fuels to electric technology for vehicles, that's pretty cool. Maybe we need something in West Virginia Get get Manchin on board. <laughs> yeah, good luck with him. Good luck um, with that, yeah. Um, the, uh, the, speaking of Manchin, the... The two big uh, Democrat spending bills, the, I, I call them the uh, physical infrastructure bill and the human infrastructure bill, although the human infrastructure bill is a lot wider. The $1, billion, or $1 trillion bill and the $3.5 trillion bill are snaggled up together in some people's minds. There was a deal to... Uh, to not vote on the infrastructure bill that's already passed in the Senate. The House agreed uh, to associate it with the 3.5 infrastructure bill. And uh, it's looking kind of shaky, and uh, the the progressives uh, aren't wanting to vote on the infrastructure bill until they get a framework on the, on the bigger bill. Uh, Agreed to, and and a couple of uh, so-called moderate Democrats are are uh, not going along with that, and and we may crash and burn in a in a little standoff, uh, and I sure hope not. And there's also the issues around uh, the federal uh, spending limits and the debt ceiling, uh, which are also complicating matters. So it's it's all going to get really messy. Uh, a few things are going to be probably ironed out in the next day. Um, got a couple weeks for some of the other things before they get critical. Um, but the big worry of the progressives is if they pass the more traditional physical uh, infrastructure bill that... Uh, they won't get anywhere near what they want in negotiations with the 
with the bigger spending bill. And and there's a lot of stuff in there that's related to the renewable energy world. Uh, uh, yeah, like trying to set up the, the new green ideas and basically trying to save our planet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the uh, the solar and wind uh, incentives, the uh, new rules on permitting for transmission lines, uh, make it easier for those to go in without being vetoed by some little county that says it's not helping us. Because um, it, it's important with more renewable energy on the grid that we be able to send it from one place that has access to another place that does not at the time where wind's blowing one place and the sun's not shining in another, etc. Um, there's a lot in there for for electric vehicles, incentives, and charging stations. And we need to move fast. We need to do as much as we can, as quickly as we can, and... We can't wait another year, let alone six years. Yeah, and setting up infrastructure, I mean, why is that such a big argument? I mean, basically making investments in our future. You know, the United States runs off of all the investments we've made, you know, going back generations. Uh, I mean, you know, you go back to the Intercontinental Railroad, and, you know, there's a lot spent on that, but it really tied the country together and made it so we could, you know, Transport, transfer goods across the country and made everything faster and stuff. And what we're looking at now, you know, developing more technologies, getting electricity you know, more available for transportation, all that. That's all going to come back to us. Uh, you know, the uh, the some of the records of uh, of you know the return on investment for public investment, you know, saying that we get a return of like fifteen to forty five percent, you know, per year rate of return on these investments so it's not like we're throwing money away it's like we're putting money into our infrastructure so we can actually make the country work better so you know I, I, we're, we're not we're not aiming toward uh, <laughs> the future generations if we aren't putting money into our future it's just, it's just crazy that it's hung up and seen as being oh we can't we can't do this because it's too expensive oh. uh, I'll just well, that's been a, that's been a mantra for some time from the from the right in this country. Um, yeah, I mean, I can remember my dad saying those sorts of things. Oh, sure. He, he just turned ninety five a week or two ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. A little sharp. Uh, not entirely. No, he had a, a cerebral hemorrhage, and some days he's pretty good, and some days not. Um, but our whole family gets together and chats with him uh, once a week, at least yeah. when I don't have other critical commitments. I make those. Actually, we spend as much time talking with each other as uh, as with him. He's just listening most of the time unless we direct a question to him. There um, you go. But uh, it's a big family, so there's lots we can talk about. I have five siblings. You were visiting with him on your recent trip back to Ohio? Yep, yep. Got to see him in person for the first time in two years. Wow. Um, Had to get COVID tested to go in. All right. But but it's a pretty good place. They've they've done a pretty good job. They have not had a... He's in an assisted living facility. But uh, they haven't had a single death the whole pandemic. That's good. 
must be doing something right. Yeah, they're 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 pretty careful. So careful, so careful. California. It's hard to visit. Yeah. California, what? Is this Pat in California on the back for doing the right thing and becoming the uh, lowest uh, the lowest transmission rate of COVID in the nation, or was anyway recently? Yeah. No, they were they were uh, on the high end not too long ago, but whacked back into place a lot of a lot of mandates, and it's been curious. I've been seeing an awful lot of uh, anti-vaccine and mask mandate sentiment fairly visible in Ukiah in the past week. I had, I hadn't noticed that much before. There were demonstrators with signs on airport drives. Saw lots of cars with. Uh, you know, soap writing objections in the in their rear window. You know, COVID COVID will pass, but our freedom should not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, back to renewable energy. Back to re- back to renewable energy. Although uh, the the spending bills are also intended to help the economy. Um, uh, in in the wake of the COVID econ- economic crash, but. Uh, I think the picture's much bigger than that. We could always handle a couple of years of downturned economy without that much trauma, I guess, on an average basis. But uh, but we got to move on on global warming, or it's just going to be absolutely catastrophic. It's already it's already going to be bad. We're not going to be able to stop the bad. But yeah, I'm kind of afraid there's going to be uh, some sentiment of people wanting to just give up and say well it's already bad we're just gonna have to live with it the way it is you know why why try to fix it just live with it well if we don't if we don't try to fix it we won't be able to live with it we'll all be dead um or or seven billion of us will be dead but you know that whacks us down to about where we should be (laughs) oh no oh no oh no well uh we were we were kind of lax. We were hoping to have a guest tonight, and uh, and and uh, that was our primer for maybe getting some conversation going with the listeners on uh, on anything renewable energy related. But certainly, if you were primed by that initial conversation and got something to add in on it, give us a call here at eight nine five two four four eight and get on the air and and stir up our juices since we were so negligent and. Being a, and coming up with a proper substitute show in lieu of our guest, uh, you might even call in with you know some old piece of used equipment, which is actually what we're going to be doing on our next show two weeks from now. Is do our you know roughly once a year renewable energy trading time show, and we like to uh, announce it and get it out so people can know it's coming and write down their serial numbers and model numbers and brand names so that they got all that. Well, we got callers already. Hello, caller. You're live on the Renewable Energy Hour. Hey, I got some thoughts on your infrastructure bill. What's that? Well, I think that, you know, he's right. We get about 15% off of everything we invest. So I'm thinking transmission lines are our biggest problem with our solar and our wind energy outputs, getting them, as you say, to the places that aren't nice in solar or nice in wind. At at any given moment. Why don't we use our interstates as a big slot car transmission system so all of our freight can use our interstate systems as a, we'll call it, induction charging system for all their electric vehicles, 
as we do our small in-town deliveries, we can hook up to the warehouse or just make that 30 miles off the interstate deliveries like that. Cool. That's just so, my, my wild and crazy idea about making solar work for America and, you know, turning our nation green again. We right. have an innovation source in America that's just off the charts. Yeah. Every time we find a problem, we find a solution. So one of the solutions would be perhaps something like a uh, mandate for all racing to become electric. Cool. All racing. NASCAR. <laughs> it's it, the ones already there. It's heading that way. Everything there. Those race crews will make things happen in a season. Yeah, oh, man. Solve all of our problems instantaneously because that's what their motivation factors are. We have innovation in America. We just need to apply it. We need to get off the dead dinosaur. That's my diatribe. I all right. I appreciate the time. Hey, I appreciate the sentiment. Thanks for the call. Yeah, take care. Um, induction charging on the freeways. Slot machine, slot car, slot car. Yeah, like like the like the trolleys, except the the lines in the road. Um, although he doesn't want 150 kilovolts. <laughs> yeah, let's not do, get that high. <laughs> um, but that can be down there too. Although it's a lot more expensive, oddly enough, to to bury it than to build all those towers. That, that kind of surprises me a little bit, as expensive as those towers must be. And it's also part of the objection that people uh, have for transmission lines is their their visibility. Right. And, uh, and exposure to damage. Yeah. Well, certainly in California with PG&E's track record, we know that story, too. Yeah. Although generally the series transmission lines are way up there, way above any tree. Yeah, but they they cut huge swaths across the across they do. Lands. Yeah. Um although uh, a number of those big towers got blown down in uh hurricane what was it, Ida? One that hit New Orleans and Louisiana a couple of weeks ago or a month ago. Wow. It's just, yeah, you put something up, it's going to eventually come down, I guess. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, I wonder what the what, what makes it so expensive to bury them. Well, there's different things in that. You're working underground. Uh, when it's up in the air, one of the big advantages you get is cooling. Uh-huh. You know, wires and such, uh, they're able to carry different amounts of power based upon their ability to disperse heat. Uh, so when you put them underground, they're not as able to disperse heat. Hmm. I would uh, I would have thought air, that the the ground would have been really good at conducting heat away. It, it can, unless uh, it's really dry. Yeah, but also yeah, right. There's all kinds of different things with that. I mean, flooding, of course, is a big thing. Uh, from moistures, you got to. There's a lot of management you have to do the underground yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, if you uh, <laughs> you have an underground uh, vault system, it can become a uh, it can become a underground you know <laughs> river. <laughs> yeah. The wrong conditions. yeah yeah and and with with one hundred fifty thousand volt lines, uh, I don't think, yeah I don't think there's any good insulation except you know several inches of glass. Right. Right. 
And uh, if you put things underground here in California on a scale where you're worried about insulation and stuff, we, we have uh, earthquakes. Right. <laughs> I always wonder about that with the gas lines and stuff, how much work they must go into protecting, you know, they, well, they should be putting into gas lines that go down through California's faulted ground, you know, my gosh. Well, they, they do, but they put in uh, automatic uh, valve shutoffs that that automatically shut the gas flow off in the event of of earthquakes, right. uh, large earthquakes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which is a great reason to not uh, have your backup generator be powered by by natural gas. It, it's it's the most common fuel for backup generators in the United States. I've, I've always mentioned that uh, you know in my classes, but you don't want to use natural gas for your backup generator in in California. No, propane is good, but not natural gas. Well, propane's troublesome in many cities. Um, you're you're not allowed to have bigger than a than a barbecue grill sized propane tank in many cities. Right. Um, so in those places, you know, people will go with diesel or gasoline. I guess that makes sense. Ho- hopefully, you have a nearby gas station that uh, that uh, has a backup generator. There have been a lot more backup generators on businesses. Yeah. Um, yeah. Re- Nothing <laughs> like uh, being out for a few days and losing money to make someone want to invest. Well, and particularly after uh, the what Superstorm Sandy, uh, that was such a huge problem in uh, the New York City area. After that storm, was that nobody had power for a number of days, and and people had some gasoline backup generators, but they couldn't get gas because the gas stations didn't have a backup generator. Right. Right. Um, so we're hoping people will rescue us from from randomly talking about our thoughts of the renewable energy world uh, and you can steer us to your thoughts of the renewable energy world give us a call at 895-2448 I hope that wasn't just the sound of Alex hanging up oh dear I'm in trouble Alex you're gone I may have to put on a little bit of music. Well, uh, let's take this call. Hello? Oh, I got a busy sound. Hey, it's me. Oh, you called in on the main line. All right. Well, you want to call me back and do that. But the busy well, No, I'm glad to have you here. I'll lock you in. Um, and I won't hit the drop button but I can't get rid of the uh, line six. I'll just leave that open. Nobody calls in on it anyhow. Um, yeah, I was just about to put on some music and call you. Anyhow, um, curiosities in the solar world. Uh, have you been busy? Yeah, I've been busy doing a lot of uh, local stuff, finally. I was working down in Sonoma County a lot recently. There's the sales guy I work with that does a lot of our work down there. But uh, up here, it's funny, when I'm down in Sonoma County, I'm doing grid tie stuff, uh, but when I'm up here in Mendocino County, I'm mostly off-grid. Yeah, I've definitely drifted more back to the off-grid world than I than I used to be. Oops, there's somebody on line five. I'm not used to that. Oh, they're not on line five anymore. Line four. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi. Thanks for the show. Sure. What's up? I... And I'm curious about remote solar pumps 
for water pumps for wells. Oh, sure. Uh, um, r- remote because you don't have any power anywhere near it? Exactly. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm not familiar with these systems at all, but in the idea of developing future water, um, how far can we pump water with solar pumps? Um, and what sort of equipment do we need? How much do they cost, et cetera? Do you guys know anything about that? Well, going, going a distance isn't a big deal. It's the height that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. How much are you lifting is is a much bigger driver to the cost of the system than than how far in distance, not counting the pipe, of course, um, or trenching if it's going underground. What are you pump, What are you What are you pumping from? Well, um, my guess is that um, there'll be a couple hundred feet depth of the well. Okay, a well, and then, and then maybe getting from the bottom of the well. Um, all the way up to our storage tanks is maybe another couple hundred feet. Is that um, yeah, that's that's cer- certainly doable? Um, uh, Alex, have you done much uh, solar direct pumping lately? Yeah, yeah. Well, not super, li- super li- not super lately, but for a residential size system, one where you're you know not doing a crazy amount of ag water or something like that, uh, you can usually set up something like what you've just described: two hundred feet deep uh, to you know adding. Four hundred feet total rise. Uh, you can do that typically for five to seven thousand dollars in equipment. Yeah, that, and you got to consider all the pipe and you know your tanks and all that kind of stuff as well. well sounds but like you already cool. had a tank, but uh, yeah, and is the well dug? That's another significant cost. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I'm imagining something from the Grunfast SQ Flex line. Um, yeah, that'll work. It's also, sun pumps and such. Sun pumps. Yeah. They've got ones that can do four hundred plus. Um, I'd have to check the uh, the pump curve charts to make sure, but you, know, you can go quite a bit deeper, and, uh, you know, more extreme too. But you want you take a step up and and uh, cost. Uh, you can go pretty deep. Uh, you can get uh, basically a three phase uh, pump, and you put a uh, a um, frequency uh, an adjustable frequency drive mm-hmm. on it. Is that right? That's the uh, variable frequency drive on it. So basically you can have a power source feeding the well, feeding, feeding the pump, and it can drive the pump with whatever power is available. You can tune it, you know, and have it uh, so that, you know, solar panels can drive it, uh, drive the power for it directly so it would start off slower in the morning, pick up speed, go faster, and you know, just go throughout the solar day and work pretty well. Yeah, the, uh, the, that That's for if you need big, big volume. Or really super deep, or you know whatever oh, it is you happen to do. To, you know, yep. if you're trying to get water, well, you know, it's part of your it's part of your residential infrastructure. You know, the Grunfoss has a number that can do you know 400 feet um, at a couple of di- different flow rates. Uh, so it depends on how much water you need per day, um, okay. and uh, you're typically needing you know. 400 to 1500 watts of solar which isn't that expensive these days that's um it's it's the pump that's actually pretty expensive it's a you know two and a half grand pump Mm. cool um and and this this is for household usage or Small gardening, yeah, it should be a, a residential use. Yeah, yeah, the, the, probably the, 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 what is it? The, well, 
the one of the the lower flow SQ flexes that can do 400 feet is probably your best option. How far away from from the house would the well be? Well, um, that depends on where the, where the well gets dug, of course. Um, but I did, yeah. In relation to that question, like if we were putting it way lower down on the property, we've got some significant elevation rise. If we were putting it lower down, one one sort of solution I thought of running it by you guys now is um, getting it out of the ground and maybe up the hill a little bit, little ways with one direct solar pump mm-hmm. and do a different tank and then pumping it with an, with an additional system C- up to the main source. Certainly done that before. And the, and the second mm-hmm. pump wouldn't have to be a submersible. It could be what we call a surface pump, which is generally mm-hmm. a little less expensive in the DC world. Cool. But is your house off-grid? Correct. Um, one thing I've been doing more and more, if the if the well's not too far from the house, and and you could tolerate trenching from the house out to the well, uh, mm-hmm. I I consider putting in a standard mainstream, much less expensive AC well pump. It's not quite as efficient, and spending the money you save on that solar direct pumping system, I'm buying more panels for the house. Mm. And and you can set and the way my house is off the grid is is uh, the equipment's sophisticated enough, pretty standard equipment these days, uh, so that when the batteries are about to start overflowing, it sends a signal to a relay that turns on the well pump, and so cool. solar that would have been overflowing and wasted is when it runs the pump. Actually, I've been having to force it the past year or two because the well's starting to run dry and and it doesn't get enough pumping time in. It spends too much time in recovery uh, when the well is recovering from from my first spurt of pumping that I have to override that system. It doesn't use that, that much more power because it's not pumping most of the time because the water's not keeping up in the well. But uh, that, that if that's... If you're not too far away from the the house, um, I like. What's to do- the name of that um, the overflow system you were just mentioning? Does it have a name? No, it doesn't have a name. Uh, what what brand of charge controller and inverter do you have? Um, one is Magnum Energy. A Magnum inverter. Who's your charge Magnum, controller? Magnum inverter. The charge controller is Outback. Outback, yeah. Outback has has programmable auxiliary output that you can program to turn something on and off with. It sends out a little, as much as 4-watt, 12-volt signal. And so you buy a 12-volt coil relay, which you can get in Ukiah, um, mm-hmm. that, will, uh, that will turn on the AC well pump. And, Very cool. And, and you, what's the what's the limitation for using AC distance wise? Like, um, if the well was well, you got a magnum. You, you got a magnum inverter. I'm assuming it's one of the 240 volt ones. You got 120, 240 available. Yes. Um, so it would be a 240 volt well pump, and and you can go a long distance. The, the problem is, the longer you go, the bigger the wire. So if you double the distance, you got four times the cost, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and so you just need to, you know, look up some, figure out your distances and look up some wire prices and compare the numbers. Uh, 
cold. Um, but I've been doing a lot more of that lately because the AC well pumps, even though they're not quite as efficient, uh, are much less picky and much less expensive. They tend to they tend to last reliably longer and and uh, and aren't nearly as expensive and much more commonly available. Yeah, just as long as you're uh, sticking to something like one one horsepower or smaller. Uh, if you're starting to get any bigger than that, you can start to have problems, especially with the magnum inverter. They just they just don't have a huge the surge. surge yeah, yeah. You're going to want most residences mm-hmm. don't have bigger than one horsepower. In fact, a lot are three quarter or half. I'm on half horsepower. You know that that used to be pretty much the rule, but there are cases now where. Uh, especially with new construction uh, where the uh, fire suppression equipment is being required to have high-volume high pumps. Yeah. Uh, like, I've seen some new places where they needed to have, like, a five-horsepower, at least a three-horsepower uh, water pump in order to, you know, fire off sprinkler systems and such. So uh, there are exceptions. Yeah, <laughs> Just, yeah certainly, uh, certainly. Do your homework. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Well, well, thanks. Hey, you're uh, welcome. I really appreciate it. Hey, take the show. Hey, thank you. Good luck. Bye. Oops. Now I need to make sure I don't drop Alex. There you go. Uh, oh, you know what? Will this drop you? I may have to call you back if this drops you because I've still got this other line locked. Okay. Are you still there? Still here. That's a good sign. And hey. somebody else is calling. Oh, somebody else dropped. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hi, I just wanted to offer some pump information. It's not about a well pump, but I have to pump water about 230 vertical feet mm-hmm. uh, from the spring to a storage tank. And I have a solar slow pump, but it's a 120-volt AC model. Huh, they, they made DC versions of that. Well, it's a DC motor. It's got a full-way rectifier ah, okay. where the AC comes in. Okay. But since I've got a solar system at the house, and I've got the 120 volts, and I, you know, it's 400 feet to the pump, I thought I might as well do it at 120 volts. Yep, and get much, much smaller wire. What what voltage is the house battery? Um, 12, 24, 48? 48. 48. Yeah, so. But I wasn't considering doing DC, so I just anyway. The interesting fact is, this solar slow pump will pump one and a quarter gallons a minute, two hundred and thirty vertical feet, consuming only a hundred and fifty watts. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. That, that's a windy Dankoff pump. It's a what? A windy Dankoff pump, a, a legend in the early off-grid world. A solar slow pump. Uh, the, I'm thinking of the person who used to make it. I see. Yeah, his name Back was... Back when I bought it, probably six or eight years ago, it was $800. I don't know what they are now. Yeah. Yeah. They... yeah. The one uh, caution with those pumps is you got to make sure that your water going into it is very clean. Yeah, i got two yeah. filters ahead of it. Yep, good, good. Yep, there you go. That's why it's working for you. <laughs> Trouble free. Trouble free. Overpowered. <laughs> Keep those filters changed. Yeah. Okay. Hey, thanks for the tips. For a while, huh? What'd you say, Alex? I was just asking him how you know how long he's been an off-grader. Uh, well, he says he's had that but, pump about eight nine years. 
I've been an off-gridder for 50 years. <laughs> 50 years ago, you were on candles and kerosene. I know, that's what inspired me to go electric. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, this area had a lot of people like that. Um, in fact, the, there was a, a residence at my university, which was an experimental student housing facility, and they had no utilities. And when I came to campus, they were still using candles and kerosene lamps. Really? When did you get your first solar panels? That was 1983. Uh, Our collar. Oh, when did, when did, yeah, when did you get your first solar panels, collar? How long ago was that? 1980. All right. From David Katz. Yep, David Katz. He's a character. He's fun. By the way, they're still on the roof putting out, I don't know, I haven't measured it, but they're putting out pretty close to what they always put out. Yeah, well, they're amazing. The ones that I bought in 83 are still functional. They're they're not, don't match modern standard panels. What what brand do you remember? I think they were Arco. Arco? They probably came out of the Carrizo Plains. Yeah, it could be. Um, were, they, were they in sets of three or four that you had wired together special, or were they... Uh, there were 12 volt There were 12 volt panels. panels, okay. So they were probably 32 watt Arco 12 volt panels. And of course, they never put out 32 watts. No, none of, none of them ever do. That's, that's a standard testing conditions number, and they're typically, you know, 15, 20% below what their nameplate rating is at full sun. With no. well, now, that, now that we've got maximum PowerPoint trackers, we can do a lot better. You sure can. You sure can. Uh, now you can get to, to 15%. Below their nameplate rating instead of, you know, sometimes 30% below the nameplate rating. I noticed something really fascinating. When the sun is out and the clouds are thin and broadly distributed, mm-hmm. the whole sky is so bright that I actually exceed the label rating. Yep, yep. Occasionally. Yeah, well, they have a rule in the National Electric Code that you have to have your circuit size downstream from the solar to be uh, uh, able to, you know, size for the current 25% higher than the nameplate rating of the highest amperage the panel could put out under standard test conditions. Just to take into account that possibility of extra reflection and extra diffuse light and high elevation does it too. Yeah. Well, talking about history, my first electrical system was a dual battery system in the truck. And yeah, that's what I was about to ask you about. Did you, did you plug the truck into the house? Well, I re- I, yeah, I plugged the house into the truck. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Uh, that was, it ran the tape recorder and a couple of lights. Yep, yep. Well, there was all 12-volt equipment back then, and that was the way a lot of people did it early on. Uh, some people made the mistake of not having a dual battery in their truck. And, oh, yeah, that's and, hard. And would be late for work a lot. Yeah. When I wired <laughs> this house in the 70s, I made 12 volt. All the lighting is 12 volts, but every room has 120-volt AC. And I haven't bothered to change the lighting because I think it's more efficient. Why do you think it's more efficient? Because you're not going through the inverter? Not going through the inverter and not drawing as much. I don't know. I don't think I'm using as many watts as the hmm. AC bulbs. Okay. Well, probably, then, then it's probably not a fair comparison. At the, at the same wattage, it's about the same brightness. But uh, yeah. a lot of people... Uh, at 12 volts, there's a much higher percentage of line loss in your wiring. 
I know. Um, and and in many cases, I've seen uh, the line losses are approaching the inefficiency in the inverter, and so it's kind of a wash in a lot of cases. I'm not going to rewire the lighting. <laughs> <laughs> what, what kind of lighting do you have? Is it uh, incandescent or fluorescent no, or what? Do you have? I have I have some uh, compact fluorescence and some LED lights and. Even the few automotive twelve volt lights on places that I've you know, like a pantry light or something. Yeah, it doesn't stay on for very long. Those are incandescent, oh. so those are big power suckers, but it's not the watts, it's the watt hours. So Yeah, right. They're on five minutes a day, no big deal. Yeah, I just I just uh did a troubleshooting system on on a, a certain uh DJ for this radio station and 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 it turned out his problem, he was just consuming more than the solar was coming in. He, he thought there was something wrong because it seemed to happen all of a sudden. Um, but uh, you know, I checked everything out. Everything was working fine. The batteries were low. They hadn't been full for a long time from the data logging. And we started talking about efficiency and expanding the array. And I suddenly noticed that all his house lighting was halogens, 12-volt halogens. Oops. And I said, "Ooh, those are incandescent. They're they're the most efficient incandescent, but they still consume, you know, four times as much power as an LED. And you can yeah. get twelve volt LEDs. And you know, sure enough, I went online and found MR sixteen LEDs of the same brightness for you know a quarter of the wattage. And that'll I wipe out my VHF reception. I mean, my you know, trying to listen to this radio station with one of those." MR sixteen LED light bulbs. It generates so much RFI. I had it turn the light off. Oh, really? Uh, I hadn't realized they had such noisy aspects. I bet you it varies with brands too, though. Yeah. Um, is that on your AC or on your DC? DC. Huh. I think it's because there's a DC to DC conversion going on. Hmm, I would have thought they would wired up the LED array to be the appropriate voltage. Oh yeah, hey, hey, hey! What was the first inverter you had? What was the first inverter? Yeah, that you had. It was it was it was some clunky thing about like a Model T Ford. (laughs) (laughs) Was out of the popular mechanics magazine? (laughs) I think the transformer primary was made was was turned on and off by a vibrator. (laughs) <laughs> to generate AC. Oh, so it was a square wave. Oh, yeah. I bet you it was a trip light. Yeah, I think that's what it was. Yeah. But then I got a trace, which lasted about 40 years. Yeah, yeah. And, and now I have a 4KW sine wave trace. Yeah, Alex has a, a fun story about a trace he found on top of two... Two by fours right above the battery bank, so it was in, inhaling the uh, the battery off gassing and sulfuric acid for forty years, and had a pile of bat. It was buried under guano. Buried under guano, and it was still working. It still works now. It still works now. Wow. Well, my fifteen hundred watt trace that I had under the house for forty years, I took it to Mendocino, installed it at Liz's house. And then it died. Oh. I don't know what happened. She probably asked too much of it. 
I jiggled some dust loose to mm. where it was not causing a problem did, to where it was. Did, was that so early it didn't have a built-in battery charger and generator input? Oh, no. No, okay. Didn't have that. Yeah. Well, those, those trace guys had it down early, and uh, and you can trace them. Some of their engineers from Heart Interface, where the first yeah. solid-state inverter was, was invented. Uh, what a great invention, the solid-state inverter. Through, through to, uh, they left Heart Interface and started Trace, and Trace got bought by Xantrex, and most of those engineers left, and Xantrex mismanaged it, and, and got bought by a better company, Schneider, who... Brought them back to respectability, but some of that same original work is, you know, still showing through on the on the Schneider inverters. Uh, but most of those engineers split off and started Outback, uh, oh. and at least well, at least one of them split off and and uh, started uh, Midnight. Yeah. So well, it's an incestuous industry. Well, very much so for their skills. <laughs> All right, you guys. Thanks for the show. Hey, thanks for the thanks for the trip down memory lane. Yeah, bye bye. <laughs> bye bye. You all. We're at eight nine five two four four eight. If you want to join in the conversation, we we've gone from one topic to another. But from I've I've been working with solar converters lately. Um, I'm starting to like them better. Uh, they're kind of a newer inverter. It's a uh, I've never worked with one yet. Yeah, they're, they're a high-frequency type inverter, uh, you know, so they aren't quite as heavy. Um, but uh, they have a lot of options to them. They're set up to be on-grid or off-grid. And uh, when you use them for off-grid, they have more options than what you'd really usually have. I mean, the, the inverter itself has uh, two parallel high-voltage uh, DC inputs, you know, two input MPPTs. Uh, you can use different sizes of uh, oh, it's strings not, of it's, it's not a battery inverter. No, it can be. It doesn't have to be. Oh, interesting. Can, yeah, you can actually have it uh, run, uh, you know, just as a, as a off-grid, uh, sorry, as a grid tie without batteries, or you can add batteries later. Uh, and you can have it so it's DC inputs, or it can also AC couple. Um, and it's set up so you can have a generator input or the grid. And if you're using it off-grid, you can have it so that it's uh, so the one of the inputs becomes another output that can be voltage controlled or controlled by the state of charge of the batteries. So you can have an entire 30 amp output. Uh, 30, it might even be bigger than that. I think it's a 30 amp, full 30 amp output that can be controlled by the state of charge of the batteries. You mean turned so on or turned off? Yeah, so once it comes on, it could run, you know, any of your big loads you wanted to, you know, those water pumps and such like that. Uh, right. like, like, I, like I turn on my water pump. Exactly. Yeah, so where uh, where are they made? Uh, oh, good question. <laughs> Look at it real quick. Uh, they're from Texas. Uh, the company, from Texas. company's from Texas, but they're probably manufactured in China or someplace, which is not uncommon with most of the American companies now. Yeah. Uh, this is something we could uh, <laughs> we could make happen again. We'll bring bring back that manufacturing. Yeah, let's see. I'm seeing. Uh, I'll look it up. T- Texas is good enough. They're based in Texas. Um, Solark, and they've been around for just a handful of years, right? 
Yeah, I only, I only started uh, really hearing of them and dealing with them about uh, two or three years ago, and um, only put my hands on them recently. Uh, but I'm, I'm like, uh, oh, that person got dropped. They have a they have a little bit of a black boxy feel, so you know, can't entirely uh, adjust everything that I'd like to be able to. But I'm starting to I'm starting to be swayed into liking them better. Cool. Hey, we've got another caller patiently listening in. Hey, caller, you're on the air. Oh, uh, hello there. Hello. A uh, couple couple questions. Um, one, um, is this show on every other week? Yes, or? every other week. We're, every other week. Yeah, okay. we're we're not so one of those on first and third ones. We just alternate every other week with point and click. We call it the Geek Hour. Uh, uh, uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> I call it the so Geek Hour. So my question is about um, equalizing batteries, and um, I, you know, I've done a lot of reading, and from what my understanding is, is they say that you, you should be equalizing batteries when they're at their fullest charge. I mean, if, when they There's so a- just to give you a little bit of background, I have a forty-eight volt system. With with vented batteries, right? You have to add water to them, right? Right. Okay. Right. Good. These you are, never uh, never want to equalize a sealed battery. Yeah, either lead acid battery. And my question is: is so the batteries, the lead acid battery should be fully charged before I do an equalization on that. Yeah, that's a safety issue. They're nervous because you're going to be setting the charging voltage to a higher than normal voltage. And if they're <clears throat> if they're not charged, that higher voltage can actually cause too much current to flow and have thermal problems, you build up too much heat. So they want you to get okay. full first at the normal voltages and then crank up to the higher voltages. And then what is considered a normal voltage? I mean, I'm there I have uh eight six volt batteries, so at the at the most, at the highest they're gonna get is uh fifty eight fifty eight volts. So So that that's what I'm, you call your absorption or your bulk voltage if you're an old timer. Um yeah. and uh and typically on a forty eight volt lead acid i'm assuming l16s you're probably going to be taking them up to you know at least 62 volts i, I wouldn't okay, so these are these are golf carts they're not they're L16. golf carts okay yeah okay, okay. um I, you know 62 volts is a sort of middle of the road 64 volts is really aggressive and some equipment can't do it some people call 60 volts equalizing but it's a really gentle equalize and, yeah, and I, go ahead, uh, Alex. Um, I was just going to say the uh, so yeah, you want to make sure you get your batteries fully charged before you equalize them. You know, the regular charging voltages aren't so high, like you know you're mm-hmm. saying fifty eight volts that kind of range. Mm-hmm. So you want to get them charged up to fifty eight volts. And you want them to be full already. Yeah, so that's what she started 50, off with. Volt, yeah, and you want the current to fall off, and then you can go ahead and hit that that uh, high voltage uh, equalization. If you don't do that, it just it just may, overheats them too fast and makes them off gas faster and doesn't really do the equalizing like you want to. And there, there's a heads up. You want to make sure your batteries aren't low on water before you equalize. 
Okay. You don't want to top I, I them off right before. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to fill them full, full. But you want to make sure that they're none close to exposing the lead plates. Get get some water in them, uh, so that the extra gassing that happens during equalization doesn't expose the plates. But if you fill them up to right. to full, full. The aggressive gassing might actually cause your acid to bubble out through the vents. So I like yeah, and I, the, the my and that brings me to another question. When I put the water in, um, you know, obviously there's you know I don't see the the water is a is above the plate, but where the little holes are where the where you actually put the water in, the water supposed to go right to the to the edge of the plastic. You're talking about the plastic tube that goes down from the hole? Right, right. The, the, you, the, the, the three little holes. That, the, the way I treat it is, uh, you know, the little plastic tube that goes down from that hole that you're looking down into. Did you, you see the little plastic tube I'm talking about? You know, and, Right. The, uh, I usually, and it's usually, usually got a slit up to the bottom rim. The bottom rim. Okay. Uh, touching the bottom rim, I think of as just a tad too full. Up as close to the bottom of that tube without touching it is what i think is ideal full it's okay to fill it all the way up to that bottom ring when they're fully charged but if you uh, if they're not fully charged already when you bring it up there and as you charge them that'll expand a little bit more and it could overflow okay got you and um the next question i have is is it easier on the batteries to do a charge on i have a um uh two two Outback inverters, and I also have a Schneider charge controller. And from what I was told is that the charge control, the Schneider can do an equalization, but it's only when the solar's up because it's just getting the, the DC power to it. But so you, in theory, you can do it with the Schneider. The question is, how big is your solar array? Uh, I have 12... Um, Twelve solar panels at two twenty at one twenty five, or they're getting. I think it's getting like twenty five hundred watts. I mean, that's a total okay. That's a decent. That's a pretty big array for that size battery bank. I'd say your your Schneider could do it. Okay. Uh, and if, it and if it can, if you can't, you fire up your generator and what? do it with your generator through the outbacks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a, it's twenty twenty one hundred is the is the watch that I have on the solar. That that's still pretty panel. big for the size battery bank you got. And yeah, and you should be able you should be able to do it. It, it was classic when that option first came out with charge controllers and nobody had everybody had huge battery banks and small solar arrays back then and and it was just silly to think about equalizing your battery with your array. But your ratio is good enough. Okay, so the Schneider should be able to handle the charge. The equalization. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. As long as your batteries um, get to full charge by like noon or one o'clock, then you'll have, then you should have enough time left in the day. But if they're, if your batteries aren't getting fully charged until like three or four o'clock in the afternoon, then you won't have time to equalize. I'm hoping, I'm hoping with that size array and that size battery bank, that's happening. Okay. Well, or I could do it with the um, inverters as well, right? Yep, the, with a char- with a generator. And typically, when you do the in- equalization, I mean it 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 does. The inverters will give you the time limit, right? As far as what they think, the inverters think is enough time 
to well, charge the, to do the equalization on the battery. Well, you can program in the time you want to equalize for. Or is this? I mean, I have to manually like be aware that they've been running for like an hour. I mean, what what is it? A typical amount. There's a wide range of time. It depends on equalize batteries. What, it, it depends. The, the outback inverters are completely adjustable. You, with, the, with the inverters, it, it you can change it. I think the default on the Outbacks is like one hour or something. But you know, I I typically don't do Hello? I typically don't do aggressive equalizing unless there's some indicator for it. And and like the specific gravities are very very different between the cells, or something horrible just happened to the battery bank, and you're trying to revive them. And in those cases, you know, I want to do it. You know, at least five hours. Whoop, did we lose her? Oh, we may have. I, I heard her say hello. Oh. Wow. Oh, there. Are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. You're back. There you are. I, I was saying that hello. if I'm doing a gentle equalize, it might only be an I'm hour. And if I, Oh, you got your radio on, don't you? We're down to the last two minutes. Yeah, we are down to the last few minutes, and we're having trouble with this call. we got another caller online. I'm going to take that one. I, I stepped away from the radio. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I was saying that for duration, you know, a gentle equalize, it might be an hour, and an aggressive equalize, if you know there's something wrong with the batteries, um, you might go five hours. All right, I'm going to take one last call from somebody else. Oop, they just dropped. Hey, they're back. We're up on. Hello, caller. We got just a minute or two. Yeah, one quick, one quick question. Then um, I have L16s, a dozen of them, and they're you know getting toward the end of life. Is there something in the next year or two in the um, non-lead acid world that I can you know I'm off grid that I can afford to switching to that you can afford that's the question no i don't you know is there something that is going to be is better right now or soon to switch to to get away from the l16s and the water and the lead well, and all Al- that? alex would say lithium iron phosphate for a drop-in battery Lith- check out simplify simplify is his favorite brand for dropping into an existing off-grid system what what equipment do you have what inverter and charge outback. controller outback yeah it's all outback yeah. it's outback that's 11 years old okay um it's the, the newer outbacks are a little better suited to lithium ion but certainly no people are using the old outback stuff on lithium ion with proper programming yeah it's hard for me to hard for me to think of uh, this stuff being old but i realize it has gotten a, you know a decade past but um it can be so programmed think- Alex is saying you can yeah. you can program for them, but look at look at the Simplify uh, forty eight volt. I presume. Oh no, you're yeah, twenty. Yeah, it is forty eight. So uh, Simplify is the brand. Yeah, that's one that that works really well with dropping into existing forty eight volt, twenty four volt systems. Uh-huh. And they're okay. a very they're a very okay. honest manufacturer. Their marketing isn't over the top like some of the lithium ion ones I've seen. Okay. They're now they're not owned All by right. Black and Decker. Not owned by Black and Decker, or the now owned. No, they, they are now owned by Black and wow. Decker. Wow! Wow! Funny. Yeah. Huh. Hey, thanks for the call. We got to yeah, call it a night. Okay. Bye bye. Hey, bye.
So a reminder to those of you who forgot or weren't listening to being in the show, our next show is going to be a Renewable Energy Training Time show. Dig up those yeah. old inverters, charge controllers, panels. Get those model numbers written down and give us a call two weeks from now. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.